At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I had the chance to sit down with Roxana Julepat of the Cafe and Marketplace Friends and Family in LA and author of the cookbook Mother Greens. In this episode, we'll get to hear how Roxana first fell in love with baking with whole grains and the recipes that we can all start with, maybe for Valentine's Day, maybe for anti-Valentine's Day, maybe just for Saturday morning pancakes. But first, here's Roxana to tell us more about the role that she played at the dinner table with her family growing up in Costa Rica. Just starting at the beginning, growing up in Costa Rica with your father and stepmother, are there any particular cooking or baking memories that really stand out from your years there? There are so many, but I clearly remember tasting my first mushroom. Hmm. Because it, it is something that you probably don't experience as a child. You know, somebody actually has to purposely give it to you. And I had a reputation among my siblings to be the one that liked everything. So I remember feeling like this is weird, but I have to say that I really like it. <laughs> Just not, not ruin my reputation. So I, I really pretended that I liked it far more than I did. And oh. I ended up really liking mushrooms. Like it was my favorite thing to order on a pizza. And to this day, I love mushrooms. Was that unique among your family to be that open to food? Well, I was the middle child of five children, mm -hmm. right? So there, can you imagine the picky eater issues in my family? <laughs> and I remember mealtime being challenging for my parents and trying to convince us to finish our meals. And my mom would put a dab of butter in my sister's soup so that she would eat it and things like that. And I was pretty okay with everything that they put in front of me. So, so that, that gain, uh, gave me a lot of points before my parents' eyes. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was the ultimate approval. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that more picky eaters don't see that path. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a power we have. Yeah. So flash forward a little bit. You graduated from college with a journalism degree, but then ended up burnt out on academia and decided to enroll in culinary school. Do you remember if there was a particular moment that really drew you into going to school for food and working in food? I remember having just this very strong feeling that I should use my hands. Mm. Um, I cooked daily at the time, like most people, we have to feed ourselves. And like, it was just not like the common grilled cheese sandwich that you would make yourself. Like I would try, I would make good, st good stuff and a big batch of something and invite people over. So, so it wasn't so foreign to me to read about food or cook all the time. 
I just remember really wanting to not have to read a hundred pages before attending a class or not having to like submit <laughs> essays ad nauseum every week that I could barely uh, finish with uh, work and other things. And it just felt like I needed to do something where my brain was perhaps not as engaged and my other senses would be. What types of things were you really excited to cook and, and use your hands to cook at the time? There were two dishes that I really, really wanted to make desperately. One was bouillabaisse and the other one was cassoulet. And I guess it's like there's that fascination when you're a novice cook that you want to do this like quintessential, time-tested uh, dishes that are like the test of a good cook and great ingredients. And of course, at the time, this is like the turn of the century, so to speak. It was like really, we were still stuck in a little bit of that Frenchy food mode. So, so these were like the recipes that we glorified at the time. Do you still feel attracted to those dishes? I would say that my preference always leans towards the most rustic side of cooking to this day very strongly. I would say that I have veered away from meat more and more. And of course, now I'm like a lot more world cuisine curious. So I'll, um, I'm thinking of a lot more spices and herbs and things that are a little bit rare and more freshy, you know, freshy flavors like fresh turmeric, for example, or say uh, fenugreek and things that uh, weren't part of my culinary education, but that now are like very attractive and just different things you don't taste on a day to day or haven't tasted for a long time. So next in your career path, you ended up working along with your husband at Campanile with Nancy Silverton and Mark Peel. What would you say was your biggest learning moment in your time there? So much. First off, like I realized when I was in cooking school, and this is perhaps coincidental, uh, I didn't seek to go to school, especially in Southern California or even California. It just happened to be where I was. And I realized that there was something very specific to the cuisine of where I was cooking, you know, and there's this incredible access to season, uh, seasonal fruits and vegetables, sort of like a almost neurotic emphasis on the quality of the ingredients and the simplicity of the technique, rather than, you know, the smoke and mirrors effect of cooking, you know, like I'd never had to use a tweezer, for example, tweezers, for example, and to this day, you know, we don't, but it was a really interesting approach and really, really resonated with me and validated everything I liked about food. So it, it was an in incredible sense of belonging and also knowing that everybody that there that was there with you kind of like sign up for the same thing and loved it. You know, I remember feeling like this is a place where we don't use gold dust or gold leaf and we don't put a lot of gelatin in our things or in our desserts because I worked um, in the pastry kitchen or even things like we don't mold things too much. Like there's a lot of like free form pastries and there was a heavy emphasis on just like the quality of the fruit and how we handle it and how we don't overprocess it. And we just make delicious jams rather than intricate sauces where you have to strain every little seed out of them. And th that really sounded appeal and very honest, very sincere to me. And I think to this day, that's, that's how we look at baking and cooking both my husband and I. Do you remember the recipe that really drew you into baking with whole grains? 
I have to say that it started with buckwheat. Mm. So, you know, we all, as any baker that has grown in the past, grown up in the past 50 years in America is familiar with a bran muffin, right? Like that's probably our first exposure to the fact that there is something that has this brand thing that they say is good for you, right? And, you know, there were times in the past that they were really popular, right? I remember having one every morning before going to work for a while. But to actually like see the actual grain in its kernel and then have it become a flower, I think that my most impressive memorable exposure was to buckwheat. And it was through buckwheat that I got through Anson Mills. Um, so, wow, talk about like a great, you know, introduction from a great grain ambassador who's Glenn Roberts, the, the founder and main brain trust of grain at um, Anson Mills. So, and I remember thinking like, this is chocolate. This is flowers, like this is green tea. It tastes like so all of these things and yet none of them specifically. And I just saw incredible culinary potential. Do you remember what you were baking with the buckwheat? I think I tried a couple of things for sure. A chocolate cake that is in the my cookbook, Mother Grains. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, by the time I kind of like fell into this like magic of grain and uh, realized it's all around me. I have to use these ingredients. I had been baking for 12 years, maybe 15 years, something like that. So I have a repertoire. Like I know how to make stuff. I just have to find where it fits best, right? So I pulled this chocolate cake that I made with a sponge, right? With a, a little bit of yeast. And I thought, oh yeah, this tart flavor of buckwheat and um, this sort of tannic, dark thing that it has going on will be great with chocolate. So it went in that recipe pretty soon-ish after I I opened the bag. Um, I also made a bread. I pulled 10% of the refined flour and just put 10% of buckwheat. It was amazing. I kid you not, this probably all happened in one week. Uh, Very shortly after, I I must have made uh, the pancake. And that was like where we're like, oh yeah, this is just nails. Like it's amazing. Which restaurant were you at at the time when you started experimenting with buckwheat? This happened at Cooks County probably about 10 years ago in around 2012. And this is a restaurant that where my husband and I worked the kitchen. I did all the breads and pastries and Daniel did um, all the savory cooking. And has it been pretty much just, you know, full steam ahead, getting whole grains into all your baking since then? Right. So it was interesting because uh, uh, we opened the restaurant in 2011. So it has it was less than a year old. And all my staff knew that I was baking everything with like seasonal ingredients and that kind of stuff. And um, I'm a total cheerleader. Right. So like all our all our meetings were full of information. We would talk about varietals of fruit using all the desserts, methods, etc. So little do they know they have to catch up and learn about all these grains, right? Because once you know about one, you don't you don't want to miss in all the rest. So mm. as I think in one year we did four different kinds of corn and, you know, there's like the natural confusion and there's some funky names around them. But we became a little bit more grain focused and and um, I'm proud to say that those guys knew a lot about grains, like far more than my staff probably now, <laughs> they, they really dove into it with me. My favorite recipe in the book is probably the sticky persimmon pudding. And it's many interpretations. And uh, so seriously, when I say this recipe, I forget with which 
flour or which grain I, I made it with in the book because I actually make it with all kinds of flour. I think the book is in the barley chapter, but I've also made it with oat flour quite successfully. But the recipe that I think everybody should make, everybody listen to this, including you, should be <laughs> the baked pancake. The recipe is made with buckwheat, my precious, but I also <laughs> have another version with cornmeal. And it's a really, really good way to approach pancakes as a meal, you know, and also it's an item we share with others because you bake it. So you make a big pancake for the table, so to speak, right? It doesn't have to be a stack and you can commit to just this one single pancake for you and your your toddler and may, perhaps even your husband, right? And then like it plays into all the things that taste well or delicious with buckwheat, such as dark berries. So you can make a little compote or you can even have strawberries, which are such a spring flavor as, as is buckwheat. Later in the year, imagine that pancake made with yellow cornmeal and peaches or apricot jam. So it can hold you throughout the year in magical and fun seasonal ways. Oh, it sounds so good. And I am such a sucker for a buckwheat pancake. That's right. We all are. We all should. Yeah. Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Roxana as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one. And like our recent episode with Christina Cho about writing the first English language cookbook on Chinese bakery treats, including one with a secret ingredient that both her papa and my grandmother were sort of in cahoots on. In the second half of this episode, Roxana tells us more about how whole grains can make our cookies and pancakes taste even better, including a tart that will probably have a lot of us who had sweet teeth in the 80s and 90s feeling very seen. Meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. Just to introduce more of the concept of your book, in Mother Grains, you focus on eight ancient grains, barley, buckwheat, corn, oats, rice, rye, sorghum, and wheat. What do you think are the most important things that you're hoping for readers and cooks to take away from your book? It's kind of like a cast of characters, right? And every grain in the book has a message to relay to every relate to everybody. I want to not ignore the fact that wheat is supreme, reigns supreme among all of the grains, and that it's important all the work that farmers across the country are doing in rescuing ancient varieties of grain or even heirloom, not so ancient varieties of grain, right? Uh, there's also a, a incredible research done in colleges and universities all over the country, hybridizing and generating new species of 
of, of wheat that are important just because it's modern doesn't mean it's bad, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're sustainable. They will ensure that we have access to grain in the future. And I, I think this is a of incredible value. But there's also other grains that are perhaps a little bit less part of the mainstream. A perfect example would be sorghum. Even though it's such a regional and important grain in all of the southern states of the U.S., they have an incredible cultural value, but they have they have also been economic catalysts in the regions where where they grew, and it's also a grain that is at risk of like being becoming irrelevant. So we have to talk about it and learn how to cook more. I actually feel like that I didn't do as much research on sorghum as I wanted before the book was published. And I look forward to cook with sorghum all the time, every day. And my favorite thing about sorghum is that it makes a delicious syrup. Mm. That is like the new molasses or the new maple syrup. And I can't wait to see other talented cooks and, and, and bakers come up with more and more delicious things made with sorghum. How should cooks kind of tackle your book? What's the best place to start? Should they go grain by grain? What would a beginning baker do? Grains are kind of like choose your own adventure, right? And not two bakers have the same grain adventure. And that's ridiculously awesome. At some point, I had to tell everybody, there's something that you can make with every single grain. So when I uh, was writing the book, I made chocolate chip cookies with every grain, with the exception of corn. But I think that that's a good place to start. It's always the reason why you will learn to like baking with grains. And the reason why you would bake with grains more often is because you will find ways to incorporate into your daily lives with, without going into a crazy amount of effort. So, for example, you go to your local farmer's market in, um, in uh, the Bay Area or perhaps in the Midwest or perhaps you're in upstate New York. You find a local farmer that has a little flour that says wheat. Go ahead, make pancakes. Make the same pancake you make every Sunday. You know, that that is your segue into understanding grains and also like knowing that they are more than just your special baking project or or or, or big dinner party show-off piece. They are really a day-to-day ingredient. They are the new kale. They really are the new kumquat. It's like, it's just that ingredient we knew nothing about a little bit ago, but it will in time become a thing you resort to every day. So with Valentine's Day approaching, thinking about lots of treats from your book, but particularly about chocolate. And one in particular that stood out to me as a child of the 80s and 90s was the chocolate raspberry tart, because that was a flavor pairing that was everywhere as I was growing up. And you don't see quite as often anymore, but I, I love that you embraced that pairing. What is it that you like about chocolate and raspberry together? And like, what should we keep in mind when we're baking with them? It's almost like there's two different kinds of people. There's the people that hate, absolutely hate fruits and chocolate together. And there's the people that are, love fruits and chocolate together. So I feel like the one place where we might meet in the middle is raspberry and chocolate. Because it's a little quintessential and, you know, yes, you mentioned it, kids of the of the 80s and 90s will see nothing wrong with this, right? Mm -hmm. 
But also think about candies made with with chocolate and raspberry. Think about how many truffles you've had at at seas that have seas candies. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Exactly right. <laughs> so it's not so crazy challenging that will be off putting. And in the event that someone doesn't like raspberry <laughs> some chocolate, just leave the raspberry jam out. It's totally fine. Put them on the on the side. So I really like this pairing because, um, and I really like that dessert in particular because it sort of like plays off that amazing combo of buckwheat, chocolate, and fruits that have enough personality to stand up to both of them. And it's not a battle, but actually like they sing together. The taste of the raspberries is in a jam. You don't have like the challenging of weird textures, right? That people find so challenging sometimes with cooked fruit in a in a tart or something like that. And of course it's red. So, you know, Valentine's is all cliches about red and chocolate. So there you have it. Why not? <laughs> right? <laughs> but I have to say that since the pandemic, we are all having such a hard time that every single excuse to make something special counts. What would your perfect Valentine's Day be? Oh, I go crazy the day before and I may do this thing called anti-Valentine's. Mm. Which I think there's a segment of the population that needs a day like this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that don't like Valentine's. There's a lot of single people that feel so left out on the on Valentine's. And there's people that just need a good laugh. So anti-Valentine's Day, which is February 13th. And I just came up with that date because it makes sense. Um, <laughs> I make broken heart cookies. <laughs> mm. And they're just a black and white cookie that it has uh, where we pipe the chocolate so that it looks like a broken heart. Perfect. Something for everyone, right? Right. Or just make a chocolate raspberry tart for yourself. Exactly. And break it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smash it. <laughs> use the raspberry jam. Don't use the raspberry jam. Exactly. Make it exactly as you exactly. want. Exactly. I mean, uh, grains are fairly flexible. I think that the one thing about grains is that we have to learn how to use them. You know, in a way, all-purpose flowers ha has spoiled us so much because it has worked so well, almost too well, right? So we've learned to have these consistent results time after time. And we really, really lost that connection with like, you know, like we don't expect every onion to be the same size. Why do we expect every grain to react the same way? You know, this is kind of like a tiny switch in our brain. Like we, we can figure this out. It's not, it's not that hard. We're going to do this and it's going to be delicious. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Roxana Julepat, author of the cookbook, Mother Grains, Recipes for the Grain Revolution. This week's show was put together by Amy Schuster, Paul Schuler, Emily Hanhan, and Harry Sultan. What genius recipes do you love baking for Valentine's Day or anti-Valentine's Day? I would love to hear about it at geniusfood52.com or just tag me on Instagram at McGlorious. As for me, I need to rustle up a heart cookie cutter so that I can start my mom's tradition of making egg in a heart-shaped hole for my daughter. The heart cutout has to be cinnamon toast, by the way, and I think it'll be her first. If you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review. Or just send this episode to someone who you would love to share a giant buckwheat pancake with. <laughs>